come to church at Christmas time. A lot of people, be careful. I don't want to offend anybody. If I offend you, I'm sorry, but that's what I do. <laughs> we come to church a lot of times. We sort of get out of the habit. If you were, we'll come to church. We'll, we'll, we'll come to church at Christmas. We'll come to church at Easter. We'll come for somebody's baptism. But we just sort of come every now and then. And we come at Christmas and we hear this stuff. And the thing that I want you to remember and that I really, really want... I mean, it just really came out, really, really came out in that song is the fact that there is something real going on here. Jesus isn't the reason for the season. Jesus is the season. Jesus came down and brought hope to each and every one of us to change the way we live. He didn't come down. He didn't come down from heaven to give us something to sing about once a year or so we could give presents to each other. He came to change your life and to change your life in a way that when you lay on your deathbed taking your last breath, you can look back and be thrilled to death that the almighty God of the universe was involved in everything you did. He gave you peace. He gave you joy. He gave you love. And now he's going to take you home. I'm telling you right now, that is what is going on in this house. It's why we're here. This is not a fairy tale. If you want to read a fairy tale, i got a book you can read. It's got great stories in it. It's not called the Bible. The Bible is here for our lives to be changed through Jesus Christ. There. That's because of the song. Now let's talk about the sermon that we prepared. I want you to play a little game with me for just a minute. A little make-believe. It's 11.30 at night. You've had one of those days that tends to be sort of a rare day in our lives. You've gone to work. You've worked long. You've worked hard all day long. You came into work this morning. You had a to-do list of 20 things. And at the end of the day, you looked at your to-do list and you had done every one of them. And it was one of those days where everything you touched turned to gold. You know, every now and then you have a day like that. Everything goes right. And so you finally get home and, and you're in the house and everybody's in their place and they're in bed and it's quiet and you slip into your own bed and you lay down and you think back on the day for just a second and before you slip off to sleep, you're just so happy. You know, you're happy. You're thinking to yourself, God is in heaven. All is right with the world. Yeah. You wake up the next morning, you go to work, you see a friend at work and you tell them about the wonderful day you had before and the wonderful night you had and how happy you are that things, things are going on, how happy it makes you inside. And I hope you have days like that every now and then. I really do. It's nice to have that little pat on the back kind of day. But I want us to understand that when we talk about that, happiness is the wrong word to be used there. I'm happy when somebody gives me a gift. I'm happy when I go to Subway and get a veggie delight with lots of mayonnaise and the girl makes it just right so the olives fall off the edge, you know. That's happy. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's what makes it cool, you know. That's happy. What we're talking about on a day like that, when you lay down at the end of the day and you feel that God is in heaven and all is right with the world, that is joy. That's joy. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Our scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul is in prison. He's writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and he's talking about joy. 
And he says in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made to God, known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now our English language is not very precise, and we're sort of lazy, and I don't mean just us, I mean us as, as people that speak English are sort of lazy in our application of the language. We tend to want to use certain words interchangeably that really mean something different, but we use them, you know, happy and joy, uh, morality and ethics. Those are two different things. We, we tend to use those words to mean the same thing. And, and we're just not very precise. If you've been in the church for any length of time at all, you've done a study on love, and you know the Greeks were sort of precise in their language. They had a, a word for love, but that's, that's the godly love that we have with God, we're supposed to have with each other. Uh, uh, male to female love, there is a brotherly love, there's a child to, to parent kind of love. But when it comes to us talking about love, you know, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my house, I love pistachio ice cream, I love calamari that's battered just right and fried just right, that has no tentacles in it but has the real good marinara sauce to dip it in. I love all this stuff, you know? And we have to know the context that we're talking about, and it really, you sort of have to watch the force of what you're talking about. Do I love calamari more than my wife because I talked about it more? I mean, you have to worry. I really can't do without calamari. I mean, we do that with happy and joy. What is joy? What is, I want you to hear this and take this home if you take home nothing else. I want you to understand what joy is. In the, in the commentary that I used, Gerald Hawthorne defines it better than anybody I've ever heard before in my life. Joy is, now listen, I want you to think about it. If you write stuff down, write this one down. Joy is a settled state of mind. That's joy. Now happiness, veggie delight, I'm happy. But I don't have a settled state of mind over it. A settled state of mind. I like that. I like that an awful lot. Sometimes we face our lives with a settled state of mind, but most of the time not. Most of the time we're worried about something. We worry about a lot of things, and I know we do. I do it. We all do it. We worry about things that have about as much chance of happening as a meteorite crashing through the roof right now, landing in your lap. There is a statistical possibility that that could occur right this very moment. If it does, I'm leaving. But... The chances of it are very slim, and yet we worry and spend our lives that way. Not in a settled state of mind. We find things to worry about. We make things to worry about. We work to have anxieties in our lives. I don't know about you. I don't know if I've ever told you about my flight home from Washington, D.C. back years ago. But I can tell you right now, I did not experience joy on that flight. Renee and I had not been married very long. She was working for a doctor's office. They sent her to a conference in Washington, D.C. St conference started on Monday. We left on Friday, went up to D.C. to see the sites and all the stuff in Washington, D.C. 
as I'm leaving on Sunday afternoon to come back home so I can go to seminary and go to, go to work and she can do her conference thing, I go to the airport, I start to get on the plane and it starts snowing. I come from Georgia. Snow means Armageddon. So I'm sitting in the airplane and they're out there shooting the de-icer on the wings. Oh, and this little tidbit. Several years before I took this flight, an airplane took off in similar circumstances from the same airport and crashed on the key bridge, killing most of the people on board that airplane. And I'm seeing them spray the wings of this thing with this de-icer stuff. And I'm thinking, this ain't cool. And then we get the plane in the air and we're up in the air flying through this snowstorm and I see ice on the wings and I start wondering how much ice does it take to make a plane fall out of the sky? And then he starts flipping on the pilot, starts flipping on and off the landing lights. And I'm going, what is, it's like, are we lost or somebody can't, somebody's going to run into us? What's going on? I mean, I was so terrified on this flight that I held the airplane up all the way home. I grabbed hold of the armrest. You know, I'm surprised the pilot didn't come back and say, could you just let us go to the ground now? You've held us up long enough. I was not in a settled state of mind. I had no joy on that flight whatsoever. I was going to die. Why? Why? How many planes take off and land? And what happens if I do crash? Why was I not in a settled state of mind? Take it to a spiritual level in Christ Jesus. When you look at verse 4, the second, third, and fourth words, in Christ Jesus. And we look at that as one of those mystical, magical phrases that we, we constantly use in the church, but I don't know that we really understand it. Rejoicing in the Lord means that we are able to look beyond any situation that we might be in and we're able to see Jesus standing on the other side of that situation. And seeing Jesus on the other side of the situation means that we're able to know in our deepest heart of hearts that God is indeed in charge of everything. He's bigger than the problem that I'm involved with. He's going to see me through on the other side. He's bigger than what's bothering me. He is sovereign, supreme, in charge, the boss, the leader, the chief of state. He's the president. Pick the strongest person you know. And he doesn't even compare. He's so above that. He is in charge of all of it. Oh, but pastor, I don't feel that. I just don't feel it. And I've been trying all my life to feel that. I don't understand how to feel it. Maybe I just don't have the gift. Well, no, it's not a gift. Galatians 5 says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy. Joy is number two. Think about an apple tree. Is an apple a gift to an apple tree? Or is it what grows out of the apple tree because of what that apple tree is? It is a fruit born out of us. Joy is not something given to us. It is something that's born by God out of us. We think that because we become Christian that all these things are supposed to be just poured out magically on us and we're supposed to have all these things. It doesn't work that way. We are given the potential to experience the joy that God brings to us. We are given potential to experience joy. And to experience joy, to tap into that potential, we must be in Christ. 
And being in Christ means that we recognize that God is in control no matter what the situation, no matter what we ultimately do, everything is going to end up as he has planned for it to end up. God has known, if you'll listen to this sentence and you'll meditate on it and you think about it a little while, if you'll go home and shut up long enough to get away from the television and your wife or your husband or your kids and sit down for, some, uh, for a few minutes and think about this, God has known the end result of every decision that you've made in your life before you ever existed. There's freedom in that. I can't mess up because he already knows what I'm going to do. And I might mess up in our looks the way we look at it, but he's already got that in his plan. And he's going to work to get his plan, which is the redemption of the people that he's chosen, he's going to have his plan done. You can't mess it up, period. You are free to live your life. He knows the outcome. He is in control of the results. That's got to settle your mind. It's got to give you some freedom. Let's work with an analogy. Maybe this will work to get us a little bit closer to home. I am an American, and I live in America. Now, there's two ways I can be an American living in America. I'm an American in America. I go to the football game. I take my hat off, put it over my heart. Flags raised. National anthem goes up. I sort of mumble the song as we go along because for some reason we won't sing out loud. And then I'll go to Washington, D.C. I'll read the Bill of Rights. I'll look at the Constitution and read that. I'll see all of the monuments and all the things that are built. And I think, oh, those are cool. That must have taken a lot of hard work to do all that kind of stuff. And I go home and come home and go about my work, and I'm an America, American in America. That's all it means. Oh, I could be an American in America and understand what that means to be in America. I can go to Washington, D.C. and look at the monuments and go to the Vietnam War Memorial. I've know I've, I know I've told you this name before because this just sticks in my mind so. When I, was in, when I was in junior high school, there was a, man, a young man in high school named Stanley Err. And when Stanley graduated, he was drafted. And he was sent to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, a sniper shot him from a tree through his shoulder that went into his heart and killed him dead. And I remember standing at Mount Harmony Church in their cemetery in the drizzling rain with taps the first time I've ever heard taps played. And I'm telling you what, I don't care how hard your heart is, taps on a dreary day in a cemetery will make you bawl like a baby. And when I go to the Vietnam War Memorial and I look and I look and I find Stanley Err's name on that and realize that Stanley died for his country and because I'm an American that means he died for me. Makes a little difference. And then I read these documents and I understand in these documents that what that says is it's not just a bunch of men, smart men got together and started writing smart things to, to sort of work as an outline for how a country works. What those documents say is that if somebody attacks us, that us, us, all of us will bind together. We'll fight them off. You don't mess with us. We are bound together in heart and mind. And if you mess with me or I mess with you, we have a system where I can go for redress all the way up to the, the highest court in the land to get this thing solved. I live in a country where I, can, I am free to travel. 
I'm free to work whether I want to work. I have more food and more comfort than 99% of the people on the face of the earth. I understand as an American in America what it means to be in America. You understand? I can be an American in America, oh hot diggity dog, or I can be an American in America that realizes the benefits and blessings that have been bestowed on me by virtue of the fact of where I was born. Now, I have been born in Christ. Whole different level. Whole different place to be. Whole different spirit. At salvation, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence within us. And over time... It doesn't happen immediately. Over time, as we mature, the fruits of the Spirit are born. But many of us, America, American living in America, many of us spend the rest of our lives tormenting and worrying because we are not living in Christ. And when we're not living in Christ, listen, this is going to hurt your feelings, and it ought to. When we're not living in Christ, it means that we do not trust Him to be powerful enough to be involved in our lives day by day, and he is not powerful enough to help us through the cares and trials that we're facing every day. That's what it's saying, that we don't trust him enough. Being in Christ, being in Christ means that we realize that he is more powerful than our cares and our concerns, and he is with us walking along with us through everything we go through. But listen, I want to believe that. I want to feel that joy. I want to live my life with a settled state of mind. How do I do that? What I'm going to tell you, some of you are going to blow off, but you've got to listen to me and understand what the Scripture is saying here. He says in, chapter, in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Do you know what anxious means? Paul used the perfect word here. Because I have heard people say the definition of anxious to me before. Have you ever had anybody say to you, man, I tell you, I'm just going to pieces. I'm just coming apart. You ever heard anybody say that? I've heard people say that. I am going all to pieces. I can't. That's the word. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Anxious means pulled apart, going to pieces, coming completely undone. How do we keep ourselves from being pulled apart over every trial that we face every single day? Scripture says by prayer, supplication, and requests, and prayer, supplications, and requests, nuances of prayer. That's all it is, is prayer. They mean the same thing. It's like a farmer can plant his seed, he can sow his seed, he can put his seed in the ground, but no matter what he's doing, he's still farming. We can have prayers and supplications and requests, but they're all prayers. They mean the same thing. What we're doing is we're making our hearts, our thoughts, and our dreams known to God, but it's more than that. We're doing it with an attitude. We're doing it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, here is where I have always misunderstood what that meant. Dear Father, thank you for giving me the opportunity for working for the spawn of Satan. 
Thank you so much, Lord, that I get to go to work every day and she gets to berate me in front of everybody, calling me names that my mama wouldn't let me say. She'd wash my mouth out with soap. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the 17 pounds that I've lost because I can't eat anymore because I work for the spawn of Satan. And, Lord, I know that when I have this ulcer, I'll name it after her. <laughs> thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. That is not what he is talking about. That is not what he's talking about at all. He is talking, and by the way, I work for the spawn of Satan. You remember I've told you that story. I did lose 17 pounds because I couldn't eat because this woman berated me in front of people. This is not what he's talking about. He is talking about when we pray with thanksgiving, that we enter that prayer and we share what's on our heart and we pour what's, out, what's in our heart out to him, recognizing who it is that's in charge and what that means to you. It means that the weight of the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. You are not responsible for the outcome of everything that happens in this world. You're not responsible for the outcome of way of everything happens in your life. You are responsible to follow Christ. That's what we're responsible for, to follow Christ. And we even make that harder than what it is. What does the Bible tell us Christ wants us to do? We've got books and books and books that tells us all of this stuff to figure out the will of God. Do you know what the will of God is? Love your neighbor, love each other, do justice, have mercy. Help me. Find me more. And that's what you're responsible for doing. To the best of your ability, following Christ and Jesus takes care of the rest. Take a deep breath. Let the tension out. God is in control. We can live with a settled mind. One of our cute little sayings when a child is born that our child is our little bundle of joy. We have a deep joy. We have a full joy. We have an abiding joy because of that bundle of joy that was born in Bethlehem so many years ago. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you finally stop and realize that he is in charge of everything, he knows everything, you can't destroy anything because he's got a plan, he's working in your life, he's taking you someplace. That moment of realization of understanding is a joy that is indescribable. It's hard to explain it to people. And yet it's such a wonderful feeling to have in our hearts. The peace of God guards your heart against anxiety, against you coming apart, against you falling to pieces. The image Paul uses here is of a military unit that is stationed around a very precious treasure. And you look back at the scripture and realize that the precious treasure that's being guarded by God's military unit is you. You are his precious treasure. And then we're back where we're started in the scripture. He says, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. The baby being born means salvation to us, but it means so much more than heaven when we finally die. It means joy in our lives. It means a settled state of mind in all of our lives. Every minute of this life, listen to me. 
those old folks that we've looked up to so long in our lives, and I believe every one of us in here has somebody like that in our life that we look up to, that we admire, that every last one of us in here would either say we know them or they passed away and we knew them, that they just seem to be at such peace with God. You want to know why? They had a settled state of mind. They knew who was in control. They ain't worried about it. I don't have to worry about it. I know who is in control. It is a joy, listen to me, a joy that we can aspire to. It's a joy that we grow into. It takes time for us to get there as we trust him and we see him work and we see the things he does in our lives. Joy that our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to have. So much so that he left heaven to be born of a woman, to be laid in a manger. He grew up. He taught us how God operates, how God acts. He showed us the personality and the character of God. And then he let them execute him so he could be the final, complete, once-for-all sacrifice for any sin that has ever been committed in all of history from the very beginning to the very, very end. And then he was buried in a tomb where he laid for three days. On the third day, the Father of heaven reached down, lifted him up out of the grave so that Jesus would be the firstborn of many brethren to pave our way to salvation, to pave our way to live our lives with a settled mind. He's the one that holds us together. He is the ultimate gift of all time. He was a gift that has been given to us to hold us together, to keep us from coming apart, a gift sent to settle our minds, sent to us by the very hand of the Almighty God Himself. The scripture says, we quote it this morning, and it is our prayer, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And Father, we thank you this morning for that inexpressible gift. And Lord, all of us are at various places in our walk. We are in Christ. A lot of us in Christ more than other folks are in Christ. We're growing, we're maturing. Father, help us to live with that settled state of mind. Help us, Lord, to, to see you so positively at work in, and to accept that it is you working in our lives. That we realize how many coincidences have occurred in our life and realize that there is no way that is coincidence. To realize that I've worked hard to get where I am and then to look back and see all of the different decisions that you made that were influenced by something outside of us that caused us to be here and to see how you worked to get us here. I pray, Father, for the maturity of each person in this room that we could be like our elders and have a settled state of mind knowing that if my last breath is required of me this, mo this very moment, it's still good.
Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 2, it starts out in the King James, I think is the way I remember this. Oh, and then my mind went blank. And it came, about, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And I was in the, talking with the children in preschool and tried to tell them as, you know, as much as you can explain something to a preschooler. That a lot of stories start with you know, a long time ago in a land far, far away, once upon a time. And we tend to hear those verses as once upon a time. It's not once upon a time. At the appointed time in history, God's Son came to this earth at just the right time. And he lived his life and died and was raised so that at the right time, people in Jones County would be sitting in First Baptist Church and the Spirit of God would stir in their heart and say to them, you are my precious treasure. I did this for you. Trust in me and I will settle your mind. This morning, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never made a profession of faith, I invite you to do so this morning. If you want to join First Baptist, I invite you to do that. I invite you most of all, as I say all the time, we'll be out of here in five minutes. The world will come crashing down in heavens to Betsy. Guys, it's Christmas. There's a million things waiting for you outside those doors. For five minutes, meditate on the fact God himself knows you better than anybody and he's got it all worked out. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. God is in control. Let's stand as we sing.